Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. We're here this afternoon with Maestro Couturio and Eliane Mansell, winner of the 2024 Anne and Charles Eisman International Young Artist Competition. Thank you for being here with us today, Eliane. And we're talking about the March 2nd concert, of which you're going to be our featured artist. So, Maestro? That's correct. So, Elian, I think everyone listening would just like to know your background, how you uh, became interested in music, how you chose the violin, and uh, everything up until the point of winning this competition. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So, um, I am from Germany. Um, I was born and raised there, and I've been studying violin there since I moved to America for college for my undergrad degree. And I got into music through my parents. My father is a musician as well, um, but he plays the oboe, so it's it's a little different. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I always loved music and, of course, classical music since he's a professional musician as well. Um, and it kind of just went from liking music to liking to play music to enjoying chamber music to just kind of going down the road and applying for college when I was out of high school. Um, and it led me to America, which was um, unsuspected. I mean, I, I didn't really think I was going to end up in New York. How old were you when you moved to New York? I was, um, I just turned 18. So I was, I was just able to do it by myself legally. Um, I had met my wonderful former teacher, Mr. Zuckerman, in a master class. And that's how I, yeah, that's how I got to New York. He was telling me to, you know, <laughs> keep practicing and applying. And then I was like, okay. Um, and, and did you study with him in Germany or in New York? No, I have, I met him during a master class um, that I did. Uh, this master class was in Canada, actually. Okay. But I was still, at that point, I was still in high school when I was still in Germany in high school. And um, then we had some conversations and he basically invited me to audition for his program, which is at Manhattan School of Music in New York. And so I did that after not such a long consideration period. I was like, I should do that. So um, I auditioned, I got in, and that's when I did my undergraduate degree in music. Um, I had a wonderful time. And then after I got, you know, to know him and Miss Kopek, who is his assistant, um, I was thinking, you know, it was it would be a great idea to also get to know some other musicians in this area. Because, you know, if you stay in New York, you can always keep in touch and stay connected, um, which they've been wonderfully at um, doing so with me. And then I got to know Joel Smirnoff just through a trial lesson, mm -hmm. and now I'm studying with him at Juilliard, and I'm very much enjoying my time. He's a very different teacher, and I think I, I've i been getting a lot of information um, from all three of these uh, masters, I guess, mm -hmm. that um, kind of make up the player that I am today, I think. So when you, like you said, and many, of course, everyone can teach differently and based on how they play and how they want their students to adapt things. Um, do you take a little bit from each and, and, and from use what you like and go forward? Or how do you deal with uh, different teachers like that? 
Um, I have to say, Mr. Smirnov is very open. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not one of the teachers that will expect me to do everything he tells me to. Mm-hmm. He's more, more so one of the teachers that will um, suggest a lot of things or um, tell me why he wouldn't do what I did or why he would do something else. Um, and then he'll give me some things to think about. And if I choose to not agree with him or not take his advice, then he would like a reason. And that makes sense. You better be very convincing then. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you know, you better be convincing. But in general, if I want to do something technically different, like a different fingering or a different bow stroke, he's very open to these things. Um, And the pieces that I've played before with other teachers and worked on with other teachers, um, he's never the one to you'd be like, oh, yeah, but now you have to use my fingerings or my bowings, which is very helpful because I cherish the things that I've learned before a lot. And... Um, it feels more like a continuation just with like a different touch up and a different approach um, to music rather than like a correction of what I've done before. Good. That's, that's, I totally agree with that. I just want to go back a little bit. You said your father's an oboist. And yes. you, how did you end up choosing the violin? You could have chosen anything. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how you chose violin. I don't remember. I was three <laughs> years old. <laughs> <laughs> so it might have been chosen for you then. You don't know. Um, I don't think that, but there are pictures and little videos of me taking like sticks from the yard and doing like the violin motion. Yes. Um, I don't know why. I must have seen something on TV or maybe must have like maybe they took me to a rehearsal. I'm sure my parents actually took me to some rehearsals of my dad. Yeah, I, I saw some orchestras and I think that's where I got the idea, but I honestly cannot tell you. So basically, <laughs> for as long as you can remember, uh, you've, you've played the violin. Yes. You don't have a memory Correct. where you're not. So that's basically, yes. that's why it's hard to remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so let's talk about just a little bit of your performance experience. Have, have you uh, played with orchestras before as, as a soloist? Yes, I have. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I just noticed a couple of days ago, I've not only, but the most orchestras I've played with were um, like community orchestras or um, university orchestras mm-hmm. who were quite good. But, you know, it, it's a different it's a different thing. Um, so, yeah, I've played with orchestra when I was back in Germany more than now. Um, but, yeah, I was fortunate to do the Tchaikovsky concerto once and and do a couple of the Mozart concerti and the Mendelssohn and I forget what else. But yeah, like not every year, but I've done it a couple sure, of times. Sure. So uh, the work you're going to perform with us with the Richardson Symphony is the Beethoven Violin Concerto, uh, which yes. uh, have you performed that one with the orchestra before? Will this be the first time? This will be the first time. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm very excited. Well, tell me tell me a little bit about it. What What is it about this concerto? that's special to you? Oh, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I personally just really like the concerto. And um, I mean, for those of that might, might not know, it is one of the bigger violin concertos alongside some other works. And it I've worked on it during my junior year of college. I learned it for the first time. Um, but it was one of these works that I had to put away and then take up one more time to really actually understand, I think. It's, I had some trouble with it musically before. It takes a mature sense. It's a mature player it to pull off yeah. musicality, yes. 
Yeah, but at this time around, I, I really feel like I got into the material more and um, I got to understand the harmonic structure and, you know, everything that goes into this this concerto. And one of the things that makes it so great, I think, is that it is really a conversation between the orchestra and the soloist. Absolutely. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just showing off, but at the same time, actually, Mr. Smirnov did say something very interesting to me in one of his lessons with me. Um, he did say, you know, this is from the classical period, but it is a classical virtuosic piece. And I've never thought about it like that, but it does make sense to me, especially, you know, the third movement with all the things that are going on. It it does show off a little bit, but at the same time, it is still a musical conversation. Um, so that's what I really like about this. It is. It is classical era. Of course, he's pulling himself towards romanticism in yeah. certain ways. So you, you it that's obviously in some of this concerto too, closer to the middle period maybe, but... But it does have that classical sense to it, overall structure, even though it's magnified. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking in the first movement, how many pieces and how many violin concertos start with the timpani by itself? Just the timpani. Yeah, I don't think many. <laughs> it's, could you imagine being back then listening to it? You think, is this how it starts? Is this what's going yeah. on? And then it goes into a very structured classical sense, you know, uh, opening of the orchestra before the violin comes yeah. in and then yeah. then the violin comes in and it's almost a little bit of uh, timelessness there for just a second you can't tell where the bead is for just a little while until the orchestra comes back in again with the or with the violin and yeah. then it's back to structure again so i, I really it, it's remarkable in that way yeah the the rhythmical um elements that that he puts in there are very interesting right from the start like just as you said with the timpani or um also in the second movement where i am accompanying at first yes. um and i i think that is you know that is one of the reasons why i like this concerto so much because because it is an actual conversation and you know um both parts get both parts <laughs> It's chamber music on a mass scale, on a very large scale, because you're going back and forth with an entire orchestra. I'm very excited. <laughs> How would you describe emotionally the feel of the piece? I think it has some very heroic elements, yes. some very proud elements. Um, but then in the second theme and in the second movement as well, there are some very intimate moments. Um, as well, also in the third movement, there's some very intimate movement moments where it's almost like um, time is standing still for just a couple of bars, and then it gets back to the flow of the of whatever movement we are in. And I'm thinking, especially about the second movement. Um, I think it's the se second subject. Um, my teacher calls it the prayer <laughs> mm -hmm. because there's basically. There's just strings and pizzicato, and that's it. But they're just laying there, and then it's just this melody on top of it floating it's, um, for a while. It's gorgeous. It absolutely is, and you're exactly right, and so is your teacher. To have movement in pizzicato, but also that the overall feel is a stillness to it, even though the pizzicato is moving, exactly. is, is really quite remarkable. Yeah. And then the last movement... Uh, really, uh, the end of the second movement really leads into the last movement 
almost, yeah. right? With a little <laughs> cadenza from from the soloist. Um, yeah, just a little wake-up call, a little, yeah, you exactly. know, we've it's been, really we've been a little calm. <laughs> it is a wake-up yeah. call, yeah. And then the uh, theme goes back and forth between solo and then Tutti Orchestra, of course. And tutti Orchestra, yeah. And I think that movement is very, uh, very proud, um, lively, and also majestic. Definitely majestic um, at movement. times. Yeah. And the, the uh, key of the entire concerto, of course, is D major. What's, what's mm -hmm. special about that, you think, for the violin in general? Oh, what can um, be brought out by the violin in that key? It's I, it's interesting because many violin concertos are in D, That's either D major or D minor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think it's because uh, you know, harmonically you can go down because we have the G string, but you can also go up because we have the A and E string. And if you write in G, there's so much only so much you can do with you know going down harmonically. Exactly. Um, so for our listeners, think, just to make sure. She's talking about open strings. The, oh, yes. the, op the, the There's an open D string on the violin, which would really resonate, helps the, the instrument itself resonate, right. and be really yes. rich and bright. And then when she says go down, she's, she's talking about going a down A string from D is G, and then when you go up A string from D is A. So these are all open strings. Of course, she's not using only the open strings. Right. She's fingering. Right. But the resonance <laughs> yeah. of the violin with those open strings, even when she is fingering, it produces a wonderful, big, rich sound. Yeah, it is. It is much easier for for a string player to to play in these keys, like D major, A major, or even minor, because once you get into like in lots of flats or lots of sharps, you can't really use these open strings, and it does sound a little more muted. Yes. Um, and I think for for a concerto with orchestra, you know, we need some power because there's a lot of people behind um, us to play at the same time and you know i still want to be heard that's right outside in the room so and i can only tell me. the orchestra to be quiet at so much at, at some point yeah that's right <laughs> exactly. and, and we don't want the soloist elion having to struggle to produce so much sound because the orchestra is so loud uh and what i like to tell the audience too is uh because of the key it, it fits the the left hand of the violin very well it's very what i would call violinistic uh it, it is certain passages just flow through the hand easier because of the key. Yes. Not that another key won't work. It's just, but but you'd be a surprised if you change this key of this piece, it would sound like an entirely different piece. Uh, it would be either yeah, darker. Yeah, that's fascinating. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, what other pieces of the repertoire overall do you like? What are some of your favorite violin pieces? Obviously, besides Beethoven. <laughs> the Beethoven concerto is up there. Yes. Um, but I also... Did you mean like um, concertos oh, or anything. just in general? Yeah, just anything. I love chamber music, so um, sonatas and string quartets. I, I love playing them and listening to them. I think it's just so beautiful. Um, and I right now I have a Brahms face, um, <laughs> and I like pretty much everything Brahms. Um, I love the concerto, but the concerto is played a lot. Yes. So I'm listening more to the quartets and the quintet and... Uh, the sonatas, I'm learning one of them right now, and that's just a lot of fun. And I also, I've recently discovered, I mean, that's just new to me. I, I don't think it's new to anyone else, but it's new to me that actually Bach had some sonatas for harpsichord and violin, not just the solo sonatas for violin, but also for harpsichord and violin. And I've been learning some of those that are very nice, um, and I didn't know them before, that's so that's wonderful. been fun. I 
I love discovering music um, of different eras. Um, I've also kind of tried to discover some contemporary music of living composers. Um, and there's a British composer I just discovered for the first time. Um, her name is Eleanor Alberga, and I think her music is wonderful. And I would love to learn um, her string quartets. She has some very, very nice string quartets. I would love to learn them with the group. But all of this takes time and effort, so, you know, it, it maybe does. later in the future. <laughs> uh, what about music outside of the classical world? Do you listen to anything else besides classical classical music? Yeah, funny enough, the Manhattan School of Music, where I did my undergraduate degree, um, has a pretty famous jazz department. Mm -hmm. And because the school is so small, because music schools are typically very small, people know each other. So we kind of merged together, um, all of us, and we went to each other's concerts and, you know, recitals and everything. So I've got a lot of jazz friends we, we, uh, in the city. We, we talk about that fairly often. I'm a jazz bassist. In, oh, and <laughs> it's uh, it, it uh, you're you're singing to my heart, <laughs> <laughs> and Elian. I I teach at the University of North Texas, which has a prominent jazz program as well. So uh, mm -hmm. sometimes our worlds collide there too, and it's it's actually interesting when we can put programs together that collaborates between the two. Uh, you get yeah. the, you get a feel of each other's world. Music is a small world, anyways. It so is. when you get to, to do that, it, it makes it special. I, I think collaboration is one of the most important things that we can do as artists. And I would like to do actually more collaboration with um, other art forms as well, like painters or yes. actors or dancers. But it's very hard to, to get the project going as a student. So maybe in the future. <laughs> you, you, you'll think big. It's, it's, it's true. Everybody gets consumed in their own little uh, projects. But when they do mesh, it, it is a lot of fun for sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to... Uh, let us know about yourself. Yeah, what else do you do besides play the violin? Oh, um, I love the outdoors. Uh, I grew up in a little village, so I love the outdoors. I mm -hmm. like anything that's outdoor. Um, just if it's just a walk or a hiking, like a bike tour. Um, yeah, or in the winter skiing. Um, it's a very German thing to go skiing <laughs> every winter. Um, yeah, I, I like the outdoors and I like painting, mm -hmm. um, sewing. That's a fun fact. Uh, I like sewing and designing clothing. I have too many hobbies for my own good because I can't do all of them. Um, so but, you, you do know, the violin very well and these other ones when you can get to it. Is that right? When I can get to it. Yeah. And <laughs> Which when, is not whatever that often. The season is like. Yeah, exactly. Or I mean, in winter break, you know, you can sew a little bit or go outside or in summer break. But right now, I don't really do much besides practicing and going to classes. Sure, sure. What part of Germany did you uh, grow up in? Um, I'm from the northern part, um, from an area near Hamburg, oh. um, which is quite, for people that might not be so familiar, that's basically very close to the Netherlands. So um, a quick trip to Amsterdam is quite common, which is nice. And how often do you get to go back as, as, since you've been living here in the United States? Once or twice a year, usually. Okay. Um, yeah. My parents were thinking about coming to the concert in Texas, but they can't because I have my graduation recital later this semester, and they're already flying over for you that. You can only go to so many things. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. That's right. But, 
Yeah. And so you have that graduation recital, and what are your? Do you have any plans for after after that? Do you know what you're going to be doing next? <sighs> if I knew that, um, <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> if we all only knew that, that's right. Uh, I'm just. I'm trying to be. Um, branching out in as many directions as I can. So, you know, I've, the competition I did in January with you guys was one of those things. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some of those competitions just, you know, to get this feel how it goes and, and what happens. And surprisingly it worked out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I'm also starting to do orchestral auditions. Um, and I am applying for another degree at Juilliard, but I don't know if I will do that yet, just in case sure. I'm applying. Sure. Um, You're keeping your so options yeah. open, for sure. Yeah. Keeping my options open, yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, I can tell you this. The musicians really look forward to, to working with you, as do I, of course. Uh, we'll have a wonderful time uh, on the Beethoven and uh, look forward to the concert on March 2nd. Me as well. I can't wait to be back in Texas. Great. Elian, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. It was so fun to talk to you guys. It's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Charles Eisman, who's a performing arts center we play at, and also he's the sponsor of the competition for this concert on March 2nd. So welcome, Charles. Well, thank you very much. And just to clarify one thing, it's not my performing arts center; it's our performing arts center. Thank you. That that it, makes it me basically feel is is owned and run by the city of Richardson, and and uh, I I was just lucky. My wife and I were lucky enough to help them a little bit. Well, both of you really did. I mean, and so we're just fortunate to have such a beautiful hall to play in. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about your your. Um, Involvement with the orchestra. Tell us when you first heard about the Richardson Symphony. Well, it was a hundred years. No, it wasn't a hundred years. But <laughs> we don't have that much time playing. now. So <laughs> yeah, they they were still playing at the high school at the Richardson High School. Yeah, the Richardson High School, and uh, we used to go to the performances there. And then uh, when the center was built, uh, they moved to the center and. We've we've been going there ever since, uh, or I have, um, and um, uh, Anne always enjoyed it so much, and so did I. Yes. And so we were we were honored to uh, be allowed to uh, to sponsor the Young Artist Competition. Uh, it was uh, maybe eight or ten years ago when uh, they they had a sponsor, and and the sponsor it was it was one of those tough economic times. That's right. And so we we just kind of took over for them. And uh, what is it about the competition that's special to you? What, why do you contribute towards it? Well, the competition is the young people who are going to be the stars in the future. Mm -hmm. And the talent that they exhibit, uh, especially with our competition, because we draw people from really all over the world. I mean, you know, uh, Elian and is a is a german uh who goes to school in new york that's right but we had a we had a, a chinese uh person and uh you know we had people from really all over the world mm -hmm. uh, this year and we've had some in the past as well russians and others yes it truly and, is international you're right and and i'm i'm an international kind of guy 
I mean, I've lived in Europe. I've traveled to many, many countries. I've heard many stories and, about your travels. Yeah, that's right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> from you. From you. Oh, from me. Oh, yes. okay. Well, in that case, it's fine. <clears throat> Let's be but, clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to do something that builds the interest in a higher level of performing arts for young people. Mm -hmm. And that's what has been happening. And this year is an excellent example of this. I mean, this, uh, this young, young woman that, uh, that won this year is, is, you know, performed in Germany and Canada and really all over the place. That's right. She is just spectacular. And I know that the audience will, will really enjoy, uh, uh, hearing her this year. And she's performing a work um, that takes a mature musician to pull off, and she can do it, even at a, a young age that she is, you know, but she, it's remarkable to me, and, and that's that's what's great about these competitions to me, is I expect all of these people to be able to technically play, right? you know, and flawlessly, but the musicianship that comes out of them, that that just doesn't happen every day. The musicality. Yes. Right. Boy, you got that right. And she is in it. Her heart is in it. Yes. And and you can tell because she's she's not just playing. She's playing from her heart. And yes. it just it comes through so sincerely. Yes, it's genuine. And yeah. She's very, very professional. So tell us uh other things about the orchestra that that interests you? Well, uh, our orchestra is just one of the finest re regional orchestras around. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, they can play everything from the most uh, uh, sophisticated pieces to some really fun things at Christmas and, and other times. And, and they always do it masterfully. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're under the tutelage in conducting of a master himself. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just Thank saying. you very much. <laughs> I think they well, play at such I, a high level to it, but I'm a little biased, of course, yes. Well, Clay, I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe it. No, oh, thank you very much. It, it's, it's remarkable to me that people can just, if you live in Richardson, just go down the street and hear the highest level of, of, of orchestra playing. Right. It, it's, That's right. There's That's something. exactly right. And that, to and, me, is it should the community should take pride in. Well, and apart from the fact that it is one of the longest standing regional orchestras. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in our 62nd season. And and we wouldn't be that if we weren't very professional and played at a very high level of really terrific music. I mean, the repertoires that are selected are just outstanding. Well, and and that's that's true of the, you know, of the, the very uh, deep classical pieces as well as uh, sometimes the uh, the more fun pieces, like the uh, landscapes concert we had this year. That's uh, right, where we just... added visuals to some of the, the pieces, like Copeland and uh, Bernstein, of course, yeah. Well, we, we did, and, and I tell you what, I've never heard or seen the Lincoln portrait like it was played that night. Oh, that's, that's, it, that it means a lot to out, me. Thank you. It, well, Clay, it reached out and grabbed my heart. You know, I, I just, you know, and, and the visuals that were added uh, meant so much to the piece. I mean, you wanted to, you wanted to cry. You wanted to, 
you were there with it, and it was so, so good. And I would say, again, it was genuine because it's speaking of Lincoln Portrait, it, it brought out history of this country that needs to be remembered, the tough times too. Yes. Yeah, it was real honest. It, it was totally honest. And, you know, I, I think you make a good point. History should not be forgotten or written off and changed after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, history is what history is. And, and that piece spoke to the sincerity and the genuineness uh, of our orchestra. And I mean, I've heard the Lincoln Port, I've heard it many, many times. Mm-hmm. And I've never, but I've never heard it like that. So you, you get an attaboy. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, you know, it takes wonderful musicians and, and administration and, and uh, donors, but it takes city leaders to, to keep an orchestra this long uh, going. And uh, we have a, a, a huge amount of support from the city. Oh, yeah. There's, and, there's uh, no question. You can talk to anybody, anybody in Richardson, and they know the orchestra. They understand the program. They know... M- Many of them are longstanding friends of of the musicians of you, uh, Charles of you, and you when and of course, and when I mean support, of course they they are able to provide you know funds that help. But but yeah, they're there in person uh, supporting by attending and promoting right too. And and Chuck, you're you're involved, or you know a lot of these people too. You can remark as well about. How special it is that, that I, well, people like yeah. This I was I was support. waiting for y'all to get through it, but let me let me tell you, you know, especially uh, right now. I mean, Don Magner is just doing a fabulous job mm-hmm. of helping the city because he wants our city to be the very best that it can be, and to be a leader in everything. And to that end, he's very supportive of the symphony, uh, and he's he's there. Uh, listening and enjoying as I am and, and many others are. Um, and But it's not just done. I mean, the mayor is, the city mm-hmm. council is. Mm-hmm. And if we go back in time, uh, <clears throat> let, let me just say, you know, when, when you give a city a pile of chips, as I did, you know, 22 years ago, mm-hmm. you don't really know what's going to happen. Sometimes... With other cities, you know they're 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 not as um, well. They don't take their care of things as well as they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now in Richardson, it's different. We have not missed a beat. If you go into uh, our our center and you look around at the at the walls and the fixtures and the polish and the the wax on the floors and the windows and the rest of it it's all shiny and new mm-hmm. and that and the con the, the the comment i get from from visitors is oh well how old is is this center and i tell them it's 22 years old and they said no you, you it looks like it's two years old mm-hmm. and that's because it does and that's because the city takes care of it along with Allie and uh, bruce mcpherson who preceded her that's correct uh they all have paid attention to details, making the center the very finest it can be, and keeping it as new as they have. When something breaks, they they you know they run right out and get it fixed. And it should I mean, be said because this doesn't always happen at places. You're right. Oh no, 
no, I, I will let the venues, I know, I know of some venues where that's not happened mm-hmm. and I'll let them just go unnamed. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it, it is remarkable what they've done. And, well, and it's, and it's not just for the Richardson symphony, you know, uh, we do a, uh, uh, an, uh, well, we call it the Eisman edge. It's a merger of, of arts and technology. And the city is very, very supportive with that as well. And they're supportive with, you know, the Richardson community band and they're supportive with, you know, these dance groups and the performance groups and the theater, you know, they're just right. They're in it. Well, I I know you've always been a huge supporter of collaboration. I mean, like you mentioned, Eisman Edge and with technology and arts combining. And uh, it says a lot about the city that they support collaboration too i mean the the orchestra has been collaborating this year with the uh, eisman center and we hope to have future collaborations in that regard too with the with the judy collins concert and we have some, some things in the works as well i think it's important that these arts organizations do continue collaboration well well they do at richardson i don't know how many arts groups they have now but they're they're, they're... When we did, uh, you remember the Celestial Celebration we did? Uh, yes. Absolutely a magnificent, I've never seen anything quite like that. It was in 2019. And, yeah. and it was a collaboration with UTD in the city. Yes. And and UTD people uh, went out and, you know, the, the engineers were involved. They went out and got old TVs and they, you know, black and white things, little bitty things. And they, you know, we had... 40 or 50 of them in the lobby and they were all running, showing a moon landing. Yes. And then we're, we're playing play, uh, you know, um, the planets. The planets. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and, but this, we, none of this would be happening without the city's help. But let me tell you, UTD is a great partner as well. Yes, exactly. Well, Chuck, I, I thank you for talking with us today and, uh, really look forward to March 2nd. We, uh, just talked to Elion and she's, excited to fly down here next week and work with the orchestra and we're going to have a wonderful concert i know you'll enjoy it too there's no doubt but what i'm going to enjoy it well we've had a couple of really good conversations this afternoon so before we wrap up maestro can you tell us a little bit more about the program and some of the other pieces well sure uh of course we've already talked a little bit about the beethoven violin concerto and that's actually going to be the second half on the first half there are two works that the orchestra has the orchestra is going to perform themselves. We open the program with Rimsky-Korsakov's Russian Easter Overture. Uh, Rimsky-Korsakov is primarily known for three main works, Capriccio Espanol, the Russian Easter Overture, and Scheherazade, which we performed a couple years ago. Right. And um, the Russian Easter Overture, it goes by many names because the Russian translation, you can start to call it many things, but for our purposes, we call it Russian Easter Overture. And it was written uh, really around the same time as Scheherazade. And uh, he takes melodies taken from a collection of canticles from the Greek Orthodox Church. And it does have to do with Easter as we know it. And there's some uh, melodies taken from these canticles that are based on uh, Psalm 68 and Mark's Gospel in chapter 16 and things of, of this nature. But uh, he added, of course, a few of his own lines himself uh, from a little bit of history of Russia. And it's a really 
masterfully orchestrated work. It's 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 for pretty large orchestra with lots of percussion involved and special effects in the strings. And there's soloists uh, within the orchestra, clarinet and the violin and cello, uh, and a, and and especially second trombone. It's not the first. It's the second player he wanted to have uh, one of these chants. So you'll hear a, a chant like in the trombone. I want everybody to listen for that. So these moments of chant slows down, and then the orchestra builds up again. It has quite an excitement. It's got a big ending to it. And the second work on the program was written about 100 years earlier. It's by Mozart. It's his Symphony Number no. 39 in E-flat major. Mozart wrote 41 numbered symphonies, and the last three... Of course, really from 35 to 41 are considered the, the later symphonies. Right. But the last three are special because they're grouped together. Uh, if you can imagine this, this was written in 1788. And he, was, he needed to get three symphonies down for a certain occasion. I mean, who, who can, you know... I got to get three one, symphonies down. One, who just doesn't down. have that opportunity. <laughs> and, and, and two, he comes up with, in June of that year, this symphony, number 39. In J- July... Symphony number 40, G minor. And in August, Symphony number 41. So three symphonies in as many months. And these are, I can't tell you how important these are to the repertoire of the symphony orchestra. It's it's remarkable to me that he just pulls them out like that. It's just, it's just, it was just inside him. Would any other composer be able to do that? Uh, The rival, the amount of output and the amount of lifetime that he had, it's it's hard to to match match that, really. Yeah. this is a wonderful work. It's in E flat major. We talked about D major being vibrant and all. E flat, just going a half step up, creates a, a little more richer sound. It, some people would equate, equate E flat to heroic uh, because you have to finger more on the strings. There's not as much open string mm-hmm. when, in this key for mm-hmm. strings. So you'll hear a different sonority of, of when it's in E flat versus in D major. Uh, this is a special work to me. Um, it's one of the few symphonies that Mozart puts a slow introduction to the entire symphony, the beginning of the first movement. Most of his are just boom, go, and it starts. This one and Lentz uh, and Prague, the 38, have slow introductions. They're not really long, slow introductions, but they're there. Uh, Joseph Haydn, who who wrote 104 numbered symphonies and was a model for Mozart. He just admired very much, quite often had slow introductions. So, you know, as much as he admired him, he didn't do this part of it like Haydn. He wanted to be different. But in this case, it's unusual that he actually did. Right. Uh, One other thing I'll say about the symphony, too, is the instrumentation is a little unusual. Uh, Typical classical symphony will have duple winds. So you'll have two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets, two bassoons, two horns, and two trumpets with Mm -hmm. timpani and strings. Mm -hmm. This symphony has no oboes. It does have clarinets, and clarinets actually at this time, I I say two clarinets, typical, later Mozart and into Beethoven. Clarinet wasn't really used or was invented towards the end of uh, Mozart's life, and he loved it. He loved the sound. It was just something new that he could work with and, and use. And... So he used it for this symphony, and he liked it so much that he went back to some other symphonies um, and added clarinet to it. So there's actually two versions. Everyone plays the version really with clarinets now, but some right. of the other symphonies, like uh, Symphony Number no. 35, and even Symphony Number no. 40, 
originally did not have clarinets. He went back and added it based on what he did with number 39. So I think it's, it's wonderful to, to think about. Why he didn't use oboes? Well, some people do like to say it's because of the key also. But, you know, eventually oboes have to overcome. There's, some, right. there's other key symphonies with an E-flat that they did play on. But it makes it special. And in the third movement especially, there's uh, in the trio, which is the second section of the minuet movement, the third movement, it's really beautiful, almost uh, duetish, like uh, clarinet solo with accompaniment, but it's almost like a duet. Right. So people should listen to that. And then the last movement is just running. It just goes. It's just joyous. It's it's fun. Uh, vi- violins going up and down the instrument, uh, and I mean fast too. It, it's it's a well-known audition excerpt for violin too. So our I know our players will look forward to. To showing off. It's very virtuoso sounding. So that ends the, the first half. And then we have the intermission and then, of course, the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Wonderful concert coming up. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic program yeah. and so looking forward to it. And we're looking forward to hearing Elian and the orchestra uh, on March 2nd. That's right. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Humanities of Texas, the Ray Charitable Trust, and Frost Bank. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Catorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.